This is episode number 64 with Dr. Goldhammer, reverse disease, break addiction, water fasting, the pleasure trap, and the True North Health Center. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life expanding the categories of plant-based nutrition, motivation, goal setting, inspiring stories, and mindset to give you the tools to be better every day. I just got back from Poland and I managed to win the Sudity Challenge stage race. And it was a tough race. It was over 6,000 feet of climbing every day for six days. We'll be doing a separate show on that entire event and travel experience because we were in Poland. We went to Krakow as well. And we also went to Prague. So it was a really cool trip. Lots to talk about. But now I want to talk about Dr. Goldhammer. It's the artificial stimulation of dopamine from these chemicals. And the chemicals that food manufacturers are putting in our foods today are salt, oil, and sugar. SOS, the International Symbol of Danger, also stands for salt, oil, and sugar. These are not foods. These are chemicals added to food that stimulate dopamine production, lead to overeating, and that is why people are overweight, and that's why we're developing the diseases of excess, like heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune diseases, lymphoma, etc. Dr. Goldhammer is a pioneer in treating lifestyle diseases. He is the co-author of the book, The Pleasure Trap, founder of the groundbreaking medical facility, the True North Health Center in California, and has been the instigator and investigator of some incredible studies showing water fasting's effectiveness in treating hypertension. He has treated thousands of patients with type 2 diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, and more at True North. I was really interested to learn more about the True North Health Center because of the success stories I've heard, and I've just heard this place mentioned over and over. It's probably one of the most important resources on this podcast because anyone can go there to get healthier and see results. Whether you already eat a plant-based diet and simply want to optimize what you're already doing to maybe having stage three hypertension, or perhaps you just need to lose weight, True North is ready to accommodate everyone, and it's a really, really amazing place. The staff at True North Health Center includes medical doctors, osteopaths, chiropractors, naturopaths, psychologists, research scientists, and other health professionals. They have everybody. While they treat with food, they are also the world's largest center for medically supervised water fasting. And that was something that I learned a lot about in this episode, and I hope you will too. Dr. Goldhammer is a bit of a character, and I like him because he just says it like it is. In this very authentic conversation, you'll learn about fasting and if it's worth all the hype, the three culprits that are keeping us sick and fat, learn more about the True North Health Center and how it can help you or your loved ones in your life, and simply hear some entertaining yet direct no BS comments on bad habits. I really like this episode, and I'd love to hear what you think, too. So after you're done listening to it, take a screenshot, share it with your friends, tag me. I always love seeing that you guys are listening and hearing your feedback. And I also appreciate it whenever you give me some guidance as to what your favorite episodes and topics are. So thanks for that. I also want to give a shout out and say thank you to those of you who are supporting my work financially on Patreon. Patreon's a crowdfunding website, and it's been really, really nice to see some of the support on there. It helps me grow the show. It helps me get better guests. And it doesn't take much, only a couple bucks a month. Like a couple dollars a month is really nothing. And if you can help contribute to the show, I would greatly appreciate it. And thank you again to those who are already doing so. Go to patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. And there's also a link on my website under sonialooney.com slash podcasts. And hopefully we'll see you on Patreon. I want to thank our podcast sponsor before we get into it, Four Sigmatic. And Four Sigmatic makes adaptogenic mushroom teas and hot chocolates and coffees. And they are awesome. And I've been using them. I actually took the chaga mushroom tea with me whenever I traveled abroad to help me recover from jet lag. And I've also been using it when I got home. And it tastes good and it just helps balance your system. 
If you're not familiar with the term adaptogen, adaptogens are non-toxic plants and herbs that help the body resist stressors like biological, chemical, or physical stressors that have been used in Chinese and Ayurvedic traditions. I saw a quote from the co-medical director of the Center for Integrative and Lifestyle Medicine at the Cleveland Clinic, Brenda Powell, uh, Dr. Brenda Powell, that is, and she says adaptogens help your body handle stress. But do they actually work? I recommend giving them a try. Um, I've felt some positive benefits from it. And also they make, Four Sigmatic makes a reishi mushroom tea as well. And reishi has been found in some small studies to boost immunity. So if you're looking for an extra edge and you want to try something new, I'd recommend going to foursigmatic.com slash Sonia Looney or just using my name Sonia Looney at checkout to get 15% off your order. I'm hoping I can get the owner of Four Sigmatic on the podcast because the website just has so much information on there and I've been learning a lot of different things about mushrooms and it's been really cool. So just check out their website and just see what you can learn on there. Awesome. So let's get into today's show with Dr. Goldhammer. Welcome to the show, Dr. Goldhammer. My pleasure. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Is it smoky there? In a, you're in Santa Monica? We're in Santa Rosa. And no, Santa we're, Rosa. we're not in the smoke right now, fortunately. We had our fill of the smoke last year. Oh, man. Yeah, it's been really a, a smoky year this year. And I've been thinking about everybody's lungs out there exercising. <laughs> yeah, I was worried about all these fires and the smoke. But I heard on the, on the uh, television from President Trump that there is no global warming. So we don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> That's right. I'm not at all. Pleased. It's a good thing that he uh, knows everything. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so there's a number of things that I, I want to talk to you about. The first thing I'd love to talk about is your book, The Pleasure Trap. Well, that's a good thing to talk about. Yeah, and I saw that recently it came out in an audiobook as well. Yes, uh, Chef AJ did a really wonderful job of getting The Pleasure Trap on into an audio format, which is great because a lot of people actually process information more effectively by listening to it than by reading it. And so particularly for people that want to take advantage of, especially if you're unfortunate enough to live in L.A., you have all that time you're sitting in the car. Now you can listen to the DVDs or the audio form of it and make some use of your time in the car. And uh, for people that uh, like to read, of course, The Pleasure Trap has, has been out and, and is, is a very useful tool. Yeah. So what inspired you to write this book? Well, Dr. Lyle and I grew up from the time we've been kids, and we realized that people really didn't understand the hidden force that was undermining health and happiness. They didn't understand why people were fat, sick, and miserable. And they really didn't have any opportunity to try to do anything about it because they didn't understand what the cause of the problem was. So we thought it was, I think, important to try to communicate that information. And so the uh, Pleasure Trap over a period of time was written. And uh, I think it does a, an effective job of explaining the hidden force that undermines health and happiness. If you read that Pleasure Trap, and you understand the pleasure trap, you really understand why it is everybody you look at around you is suffering needlessly with obesity, the diseases of dietary excess, and you know why it's so difficult for them because they, they just don't really get the pleasure trap. And do you want to elaborate what that is? The pleasure trap is this artificial stimulation of dopamine that happens in your brain when you get exposed to certain artificial stimulants like drugs, like cocaine and caffeine and alcohol, but also there are certain chemicals that have been put into food. And these chemicals work on the same pathways as drugs to artificially stimulate dopamine production. And dopamine is the neurochemical associated with pleasure. So when you get exposed to these, these chemicals, you experience pleasure. That's essentially what happens with our diet is by taking these chemicals and putting them into the feed, we overeat. If you give it to rats, for example, they'll gain 49% of their weight in 60 days. Birds will get so fat they can't fly. And it's not psychological reasons that's making them fat. It's biological reasons. It's the artificial stimulation of dopamine from these chemicals. And the chemicals that food manufacturers are putting in our foods today are salt, oil, and sugar. SOS, the international symbol of danger, also stands for salt, oil, and sugar. These are not foods. These are chemicals added to food that stimulate dopamine production, lead to overeating. And that is why people are overweight. And that's why we're developing the diseases of excess, like heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune diseases, lymphoma, et cetera. Yeah, and a lot of people think that these are, quote, just in their DNA. And 
most of the time it's it's lifestyle. Like I'm I don't know what the percentage of the time is where it's not lifestyle even. Well, the vast majority of people you know are going to get sick and suffer and die as a consequence of lifestyle diseases. You know, 71 or 72 percent of Americans are overweight now or obese. So that means, you know, more than two thirds. And of course, we know that obesity and the disease of diatorexis intimately are connected to each other. So there undoubtedly are some diseases not associated with this, but it's certainly not the majority. So when you're writing this book, how did you and Dr. Lyle point the finger at those three culprits? Well, Dr. Lyle actually came up with many original concepts, not the least of which is the motivational triad. Motivational triad is the things that drive people to do what they do, and they are energy conservation, pain avoidance, and pleasure seeking. So people seek pleasure, they try to avoid pain, and they do it with as least amount of effort as possible. <laughs> so anything that gives pleasure, that avoids pain or conserves energy is going to be consistent with the human motivational triad. And so you can understand when it comes to food, if you can figure out how to get more pleasure, that is more caloric density, you're going to like that food. That's what good taste means, is that it's stimulating more dopamine production. So the way you get more dopamine production is increased caloric density of the food. So you don't have apples, you have applesauce. You don't have applesauce, you have apple juice. In fact, you don't have apple juice, you get apple sugar. And you, the higher you concentrate the caloric density, the more dopamine will be produced. For example, salad, 100 calories a pound. Well, if you wanted to live on salad, you'd have to eat 20 pounds a day to get 2,000 calories. And you can't do that. If you started eating salad at 6 a.m. and you didn't stop till midnight, you still wouldn't get 20 pounds in. Your brain understands that and your brain's not stupid. So your brain says, okay, salad. Yeah, well, whatever, I'll have some salad till the food comes along. Fruit, for example, has 300 calories a pound, three times the caloric density of salad. You only eat seven pounds of fruit a day. I mean, it's still like a full-time job, but at least you could do it. Potatoes, rice, and beans, 400 calories a pound. You'd only need five pounds a day or 500 calories a pound. You only need about four pounds a day. So again, you would prefer to eat potatoes if you're hungry rather than salad because your brain is going to give you more dopamine. On the other hand, if you get into artificially concentrated foods, something like sugar, sugar has 1,800 calories a pound. So you're in a much prefer sugar or something like chocolate, 2,500 calories a pound. So 25 times the caloric density of salad, you betcha people will prefer quote, the taste of chocolate over the taste of salad, because that taste is going to stimulate dopamine production. Yeah. And it's funny, like when you have a craving for something, it's it's never like, oh, I, I just can't wait to eat a salad. It's like, I want chocolate. I want chips. I want French fries. It's like you crave all the foods that you're addicted well, to that contain those three culprits. Absolutely. And the higher the caloric density, the more stimulating it's going to be, the more likely you are to get caught into that trap. Now, can people have varied amount of food addictions and cravings? Because I know for me, like chocolate, as you mentioned, is something that if I eat it every day, then I need it every day. And I've just broken that addiction to chocolate. But then there's sugar and other places in my diet. Well, chocolate is 2,500 calories a pound. So it's going to be more addictive than sugar at 1,800 calories a pound, than bread at 1,500 calories a pound, than ice cream at, you know, 1,200 calories a pound. So, of course, the higher the caloric density, the more... And there's more to it than just that. There's also there's drugs that are added to food directly, like caffeine, et cetera. And there's definitely differences in personal preference. Essentially, though, people will, it'll always be some of these artificially stimulated foods that lead to an addictive response. That's the nature of addiction. You have, you'll you crave the material, and if you stop doing it, you not only are eating it to try to feel good, but you'll actually feel bad when you stop it. If you don't eat carrots for a week, you don't get headaches. So try <laughs> caffeine or chocolate. So chocolate's kind of the ultimate. Not only does it have 2,500 calories a pound, but it's got this highly addictive nervous system stimulant in the form of caffeine. And you mush all that together and it's, oh, people get real excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, that's the reality of a lot of the foods that we eat is like, if it comes in a package and someone is not a whole food plant source, then it's probably going to be bad for you. Well, the general rule of thumb I tell patients is, you know, if you want something that's good, good, healthy foods, you'll want it. But if you really want them, you can't have them. <laughs> Yeah. And that's a hard thing for some people that are trying to change their diet is they have this idea that if they change to a whole foods plant-based diet, they're not going to enjoy their food anymore and they're not going to get any type of dopamine response. But 
I think once you get that stuff out of your system, you actually like I said a second ago, you don't crave salad, but I was just in Europe and it was hard to find. I was in Poland and it was hard to find like leafy greens. And I actually didn't really eat many leafy greens for like about a week and a half. And I was craving leafy greens, which sounds crazy. Well, I would say you're doomed to success. Because <laughs> you've eaten healthy enough. Now you're, it's actually a preference. And that's what happens eventually. As you get free of your addictions, you're no longer craving all the artificial short-term pleasure-seeking self-indulgent behavior. And you can actually relish the somewhat less stimulating but not less enjoyable. It's kind of like comparing loud rock music so loud that it causes hearing damage versus say softer classical music it doesn't mean you give up your ability to enjoy music just because you don't turn it up high enough to cause damage yeah and our our preferences like you said change like and also something that's been helpful for me is when i see a packaged food and my brain's like you want that like go open up that package and eat what's in there i'm able to tell myself out loud i just say that's not real food you know, the other thing you want to think about is like some people can occasionally have a bit of alcohol and not become an alcoholic. But if you're an alcoholic, that's not you. Right. You don't tell your alcoholic friends, well, just drink beer and wine and you'll be fine. Or just put your alcohol in a smaller cup and you won't be a drunk anymore. Drink your alcohol with a spoon. Put your spoon down between each slurp and then you won't be a drunk anymore. You tell alcoholics what? Stop drinking. Yeah, don't don't have any more ever again. And if you're overweight, you're not the person that can have the cheese and the chocolate and the little bits of this and that and not pay the price for it. So stop it. Quit hard, put yourself in denial. The hard part, though, is for those people is breaking that cycle. Like how many people like try and fail and try and fail and say, oh, I'm never going to do that again. That's why we have places like the True North Health Center where we use medically supervised fasting as a useful tool, not just to break the addictions to cigarettes and alcohol. And cocaine, but also to help people break their addictions to the dietary pleasure trap. And fasting is like rebooting the hard drive in a computer that's become corrupted. It can recalibrate, reboot that, and then when you adopt a health promoting diet, it's good food, tastes good. Now, that doesn't guarantee that you would never be tempted to go back and reindulge yourself any more than an alcoholic is guaranteed not to want to have another drink, but that the tendencies become dramatically less. When you break that cycle, the farther you get away from the addiction, the easier it is to make better decisions. And so that's where if you can't quit on your own, let us lock you up. We'll help you quit. Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you about the True North Health Center because I think it's a really amazing place and I've recommended it to a lot of people. And you're a co-founder. So can you tell me how you started it and how you decided where it was going to be and the types of protocols that you were going to have? Yeah, well, we started thinking about, Dr. Lyle and I actually started thinking about the True North Health Center when we were in about seventh grade. And uh, by the time we were in high school, we pretty much made up our minds uh, what we were going to be doing. I later, uh, when I was going to osteopathic college in Australia, my wife, Dr. Morano, and I went there and we looked at a model of a facility similar to what we're doing on a little smaller scale. And we decided that that really made the most sense because we'd be able to do something that was very unique in medicine, and that was where you actually had people get well. Mm-hmm. In medicine, that really isn't part of the paradigm. For example, if you have high blood pressure and you go to a doctor or diabetes or autoimmune disease, then they will tell you, listen, if you'll just do what you're told exactly and you take these drugs, we promise you, you'll never get well. You'll be sick the rest of your life. And in our model, we have a little different approach. We're saying, look, let's get rid of the drugs and let's adopt a diet and lifestyle to deal with the cause of your problem. Then you can get well and manage your condition without having to be sick the rest of your life. And that's really, really unique because it just doesn't, it's not part of even what they're thinking. We saw that in practice. And I decided, well, that made the most sense. I wanted to actually work with people that were going to get well. Because it turns out people that get well are much happier than people that don't get well. So it seemed like if I was going to have to work with people, I might as well work with people that are going to get well. So we spent some time figuring out what approach would be effective at helping people get well. And it turns out that means focusing on diet, sleep, exercise, and fasting. And like, what was your relationship with food growing up? Like, when did you change your your diet? Well, I, I got started very early as a teenager because I was desperate. Dr. Lyle, our psychologist who I grew up with, was a much better basketball player than me. He used to beat me every time we played. And I thought, well, I need to get an edge. And I practiced, but it didn't help because he practiced. He kept getting better faster than I was getting better. So I thought, what if I got healthier? And I started reading books looking, what could give me an edge to crush him? 
And I read Herbert Shelton, and he talked about fasting and diet and a whole plant food SOS-free diet. I thought, okay, I'll do that diet as an experiment. And I decided I would try it for 50 years. And then see whether or not that would allow me to get to be a better basketball player than Dr. Lyle. And sure enough, it completely failed because he adopted the same diet. We just played basketball this Sunday. He still beat me mercilessly. So I've been a complete failure at beating him. However, it did get me interested in this whole thing. And so it did give me an interesting career choice. It's been very rewarding and enjoyable and entertaining. But I still can't beat him in basketball. Man, we got to fix that somehow. Well, here's my hope. Dr. Lyle, although he's a very health-conscious person, every few months he'll wander out and go get some piece of vegan carrot cake or some kind of you know, questionable product. And what I'm hoping is that those occasional exceptions will add up over the years and decades. So by the time we get to our 80s, I'll be able to beat him. Or you should have him go on a bike ride with me the day before you guys play basketball and I'll run him straight into the ground and then he'll be too tired oh. to run back and forth. We just fatigue, can't tell him. That would, be, that would be a good idea. Maybe if we could just get him overly fatigued, that might be a good. I hadn't thought of that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm here to, to come up with diabolical plans. <laughs> I just took him, you know, we were helping encourage him to finish his book that he's working on right now. He's working on a new, really good book. But he'd gotten to a little block, so... I made him a deal. We we went to this fantasy basketball training camp where we work with some coaches and they teach you how to shoot better and do, you know, they videotape and do that stuff as, a, as an incentive to help get him through his uh, his writing block. And, uh, of course, the idea was I thought I might get some training that would help me get better than him. He went in and they had this contest. that They, they have these camps around the country. There's five camps a year and they've been doing this for 20 years. So they have these contests, and one of them is a shooting contest where you shoot 80 shots, and then they calculate how many. So he goes out and sets the all-time record of wow. all people ever in these camps. So, uh, yeah, it didn't work. It just made him better. Well, it just sounds like you got to keep him away from the basket so he can't shoot. Yeah. No, you can't keep him away. He's very skilled. He's, he uses both right and left arm. He's very yeah. quick away. That's yeah, very frustrating. But I didn't feel quite as bad when I realized that who I've been competing with is this guy that can like beat everybody. But I didn't feel quite so incompetent. <laughs> yeah. So at the True North Health Center, do you guys do other protocols besides water fasting? Like can people come and just change their diet there? Yeah. Every, not everybody's a candidate for water fasting. Not everybody needs water fasting. And so we also have people that do kind of modified programs, whether it's juice fast or just healthy eating programs. In fact, you know, some of our patients are businessmen that find that, you know, we're less expensive than the local motel. So they'll stay with us just to get their room and meals and save money. Um, but, you know, so a lot of times people are coming for, we get families that come for healthy vacations. We have a program over the winter, the extra veganza or the extravaganza where people come in and, and just to avoid the holidays. And so they stay with us for 10 days and and eat healthy foods and get entertained. We have Chef AJ joins us during that time. Yeah, my husband and I have thought about coming just for a vacation because, man, how awesome would it be just to have someone cook for you, like really healthy food? And yeah, he played college ball, so I think he'd love to get in on your little basketball match. Oh, that would be great. (laughs) Maybe he can give me some tips. He could. Yeah, Uh, so when someone comes to the True North Health Center, like what's the process when they So the first thing they do is they go onto our website at healthpromoting.com and complete the registration forms. And that gets me their medical history. Then I offer a no-cost phone conversation so we can review their medical history and determine if they're a good candidate for what we do. Mm-hmm. If we can help, or if not us, maybe we can refer them to some other place that may be closer or whatever, more appropriate. When they come in, they see one of our doctors. We have a number of doctors on staff that are not idiots. And so it's <laughs> not experience for many people to have a medical doctor that actually listens to them, is interested in what their health history is. And puts a program together. It might include fasting or juice fasting or just healthy eating. And then they go through our program. If they're in a fasting protocol, they're seen twice a day by our staff doctors to make sure they're still alive, answer their questions, monitor them carefully. When they're done, we have healthy eating. Our diet is a whole plant food diet free of added SOS. SOS is the international symbol of danger, but it also stands for salt, oil, and sugar. And they go through extensive classes. We have three classes a day uh, on everything from cooking classes, lectures, body use, et cetera. And they also uh, have access to any of the doctors if they have specialty treatments that might be needed. 
And then uh, we do ask them to stick strictly to the program when they go home. So they make us look good. That's, that sounds like a good plan. But like, I'm sure that there's a lot of resistance from people whenever they show up, like people are skeptical that this is actually going to work. Like, how do you guys work with them to overcome that skepticism? Well, usually the best way to overcome skepticism is just get them to do the program and get well, and then it just slaps them in the face. It's really hard to deny it when their blood pressure is normal, their blood sugar is normal, they're off their drugs, they've lost the weight, they don't have the chronic indigestion, their, their skin clears up. You know, you can talk all you want, but the results are in the end. If you see the results, you know, then people have a, a lot of uh, less resistance. And like, I know it probably varies, but what's like an average amount of time that someone needs to spend there to start seeing a difference? Well, some people are here just even for a week or so and can get a profound effect. Some people are here as long as a year or more. Wow. And so you know, a lot of people are coming in on a lot of medications. Sometimes it takes a while just to undo the medical intervention that's been going on. And so once you get them off their meds, then you can maybe do some fasting to speed it up. Uh, some people come for a week or two, but then they'll come back on a follow-up and and it's a long-term process. Other people come in, they just get well. And, you know, we don't have to uh, intervene as much. So it just depends on the condition, their capacities, what it is they're trying to accomplish. And when do you decide that water fasting is the right thing to do, aside from just changing their diet to a whole foods plant-based diet without SOS? Well, well, that's one of the things I like to do in their no-cost conversation that we do before they come in is review their history and determine, is, is that something they're interested in? If it is, are they a candidate for it? And then give them an idea about what kind of duration is probably going to be successful at helping them achieve their goals. You know, there's a big difference between a person that's mildly hypertensive and their blood pressure is 160 over 100 and they're on one medication versus a person who's capped out on five meds and they're 220 over 120. And, you know, that might take a longer time than the person has more mild hypertension. Just like if a person has 100 pounds of weight to lose, that's different than if they have five pounds of weight to lose. Yeah. And so I saw online that you were a principal investigator in two key studies about water fasting and the treatment of hypertension. So what made you decide to, to look at hypertension specifically? Well, my uncle inspired me. My uncle was a medical doctor, and he said that blood pressure was not a treatable condition, that you had to be on drugs the rest of your life. And I explained to him that I was seeing people in my training getting well. And he said, that's probably because you don't know how to take blood pressure. <laughs> and so uh, when we started to doing the Trinath Health Center, I mostly wanted to prove he was wrong. So we started to do a study, carefully controlled, and looking at high blood pressure and its effect with fasting. He refused to participate, look at the data. He said when the paper was published in a peer-reviewed journal, then he would look at the paper. And so it took us 12 years to do this first study. And we managed to finally get it accepted in a peer-reviewed journal. Two months before it came out, he died of a massive cardiac arrest. Oh, and to this day, my mother sweared he died just so that he wouldn't have to admit he was wrong. But I think he died because of all those K foods he ate, the kugel, the kreplach, the knishes, all those high-fat animal-based foods. But we will never know for sure. You guys are a competitive family. <laughs> Stubborn. Yeah, so what other conditions do you guys use water fasting to treat? We treat the conditions that are caused by dietary excess mostly. And so that's high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease. It's obesity. It's type 2 diabetes. It's autoimmune diseases, so like ulcerative colitis, ankylosing spondylitis, asthma, eczema, psoriasis, arthritis, these kinds of conditions. And as well as uh, certain conditions, for example, recently we published a paper on the treatment of lymphoma cancer. That's, in fact, we just got a follow-up on that. We originally published the paper three years ago in the British Medical Journal, and we submitted an invited follow-up, and now uh, that patient has been able to not only get well, but stay well uh, using a whole plant food SOS-free diet. So we've got all the objectives to support that. We are, the True North Health Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit research foundation, which runs our operation here. And our mission is education and research. And the research we're doing on fasting is broad and it's involving, we're doing, we're just finishing a clinical trial on the uh, taste and adaptation changes. So we're showing that your actual taste perception of salt and sugar changes before and after fasting, which is why the food that's disgusting tastes the swill before fasting often is quite enjoyable after fasting because there's actually changes that are occurring. We've done a study with Washington University and Luigi Fontana where we're looking at biomarker changes before and after fasting, things like helpful killer, for example, number of mutations in B lymphocytes, autophagy efficiency, uh, microbiome changes before and after fasting. We're evaluating all of those things really for the first time in long-term fasting. We have an upcoming study that we're doing with a researcher from the Mayo Clinic that's going to be looking at the primary prevention of stroke 
with fasting and dietary change as well as exercise. So there's a lot of exciting stuff that we're doing that's going to allow us to objectify how it is these people are actually getting well. In fact, there are even interests from pharmaceutical companies because they want to understand the mechanisms as well so they can come up with fasting mimic drugs. The idea is to come up with drugs that would do to your body what fasting does, but without that nasty fasting where you have to go with diabetes. Yeah, like I think that with fasting, some people would be a little bit nervous about not eating for a long period of time. So how do you help people through that? We explain to them, you know, how fasting works. We have them read our book, The Pleasure Trap, the last third of which is about fasting. We have them get educated about what the physiological changes that happen in fasting so they don't have to have fear. And once people actually fast, they find it's actually not as bad as they're thinking, particularly if they'll prepare properly before the fast. And how, how do you prepare for a fast? By eating a health-promoting diet and very diligently, particularly in the days before you come in. So no coffee, alcohol. I just tell people, anything you look at that you really want, you can't have. <laughs> yeah, like I was thinking to myself, people prepare by eating all the bad foods that they can never have again, and then they just go on total detox. Yeah, that's not the very best. We don't want to do the chocolate cheesecake diet before fasting. Oh. If people can't do it on their own because they're too much of an addict, then what we do is we feed them here for a while before we start fasting. Okay, and something that I think is a really important point to make is talking about medical supervised fasting versus the trendy type of fasting that people are doing at home. Um, well, there is fasting people can do at home, intermittent fasting, and we explain that on our website. Dr. Morano's written a really good article where you narrow the feeding window so you're only eating between maybe eight hours a day and you're fasting 16 hours a day. That can be done safely by most people. There's areas where you reduce your caloric intake to five or 600 calories while you rest. That can be done. But water-only fasting needs to be medically supervised. So anybody that's going to fast, first of all, you want to have the benefit of a physical exam, a medical history, and baseline lab data because you've got to be able to tell the difference between a good thing and a bad thing. And it's difficult to do that during fasting without having some baseline data. People also make a mess of it, and then they get into trouble. You know, there's lots of things. You could go on the Internet, and they'll teach you how to do an appendectomy at home, too, over the Internet. But I wouldn't recommend it because the outcomes are going to be poor. I don't think that water-only fasting is best done on an outpatient basis. It's really better done in a controlled setting where people can rest. For example, if people try to fast when they're working, if they're doing water-only fasting while they're working, they will feel better. They will actually have less symptoms because instead of detoxifying, what they're doing is they're mobilizing their protein stores to produce the glucose needed to sustain their brain and muscle activity. That's a process called gluconeogenesis. We don't want to break down your muscle. We want to break down the fat and eliminate the toxins that are stored in that fat. And in order to do that, you have to rest. So one of the important things is whether you're supervised or not, you still need to rest when you're fasting. If you're supervised, you're in a situation where you won't make stupid mistakes because you're doing things that you didn't really understand fully. Even people that do understand fasting still want to fast in a supportive environment with appropriate monitoring. And unfortunately, what's happening now is people are kind of, you know, they're all anxious to fast, but they're not anxious to do the necessary preparation so they get themselves into trouble and it's going to make fasting look bad. Yeah. And I mean, I think that intermittent fasting is not always used for the right reasons. Like people just, they go on like a holiday and then they eat all these bad foods and then to punish themselves, they'll like do fasting to, to lose weight. And well, this is classic manifestations of various types of eating disorders. So, you know, people have all kinds of aberrant eating behaviors that have nothing to do with medically supervised fasting. That's not what we're advocating. That's not what we're supporting. It's not what we're doing. So when should somebody, like if they don't want to come do water fasting, if they want to try it at home, who is a good candidate for that? Because like if you're healthy and you're not overweight and you exercise and you eat a whole foods plant-based diet, like do you still need to be doing intermittent fasting? Well, I think that we recommend intermittent fasting with everybody every day. We limit the feeding window by narrowing what time you eat breakfast and, and what time you eat dinner. Because I don't think eating all day long and all night long is necessarily a health-promoting factor. And the fact is even fasting 12 hours, or 14 hours or 16 hours is enough to induce metabolic changes that are associated with a healing response. Also, if you're only eating food during eight hour window, that means 16 hours you're not eating greasy, fatty, slimy, processed, dead, decaying flesh foods. And so there may be some benefit just by virtue of the fact you narrow how many hours a day you're abusing yourself with whatever diet is you're eating. And if you happen to be eating healthy foods, you can eat more than enough calories in a relatively narrow window that may facilitate keeping a healthy weight, et cetera. And benefits. Now, that doesn't mean everybody has to do that, but there certainly appears to be some advantage 
to having people, you know, especially not eating late before they go to bed, right before they go to bed, people sleep better or sounder. There's, there's advantages to that. So I recommend intermittent fasting for everybody every day. Hmm. And I recommend if people are overweight, sometimes if they have a day of rest a week where they narrow their caloric window by eating, say, fruits and vegetables only, whatever, that might help facilitate the additional weight loss. And then once in a while, maybe it's a good idea to take some time out and do a proper medically supervised water only fast. I think that's it has use for healthy people as well as for sick people. And what are your thoughts on juice fasts? Well, juice fasting is basically feeding. The advantage to eating, say, 600 calories of juice a day is that because you rip the cells apart, it's sweet. And somebody that might not be willing to eat whole salad and fruit because it's disgusting, tasteless swill to them might be willing to drink the sugary materials in the form of juices. So there may be some compliance benefits of juice fasting. But remember, from a healing standpoint, 600 calories of raw fruits and vegetables is the same as 600 calories of juice, except that the raw fruits and vegetables have the benefit of having fiber. And so I you know, generally prefer to see people eating their 600 calories of whole food rather than juices. But if juice fasting is helpful to allow them to comply with this caloric restriction and, and, it's, and it helps work for them clinically, I don't have an objection to it. And you think endurance athletes should also be doing intermittent fasting, like if they're exercising four, three, four hours every day? If a person's exercising three or four hours a day, their caloric needs are much higher. They may not be able to get away with a eight-hour feeding window. They may need a 10-hour feeding window, or they may need a 12-hour, just to get enough volume of this low caloric density food into them. So they may not always, when they're actively training and burning 3,500 calories a day, be able to get away with quite as tight a feeding window, particularly if we're avoiding excess amounts of overly concentrated foods. And can you elaborate more as to what happens whenever the body is resting? Like you mentioned, metabolic changes happen whenever you're not eating and your body's not trying to digest food. Well, there's a little bit of a misnomer that if you do a fast, your metabolic rate will slow down and stay slowed down. It will reset your set points. I mean, that's actually not true. There's no evidence to support that. So it's not uh, narrowing the feeding window that's limiting your metabolic rate. Now, it is true. While you're fasting, your body does adapt, especially in a longer-term water fast. But it's while you're fasting and the metabolic rate restores to normal levels as you recover. There's no permanent damage. Sometimes what happens is people do get healthier, so they're able to better absorb their foods. And so they find they don't have to eat quite as much in order to maintain optimum weight. So there are changes that occur there that um, for healthy people on healthy diets are highly positive. For people that are trying to get away with eating greasy, fatty, slimy, processed, dead, decaying flesh, may not they may not like it. They may like to not be absorbing what they're eating. So, you know, they say that, you know, it depends on what your motivation is. If your motivation is to get healthy, healthful living is great stuff. If your motivation is short-term weight loss, then People do a lot of crazy things. Listen, if you cut your hip off at the thigh, that's 40 pounds of weight. That doesn't make it healthy. You know, you can take drugs that keep you from absorbing anything. You get explosive diarrhea, but at least you'll lose weight. You know, lots of things people do to lose weight that doesn't make it healthy. Yeah. And speaking of one of those things, I want to bring up ketogenic diets because a lot of people think that this is a healthy thing to do. So I just wanted to hear your opinion on this. These fasting mimicking diets, some of them are high protein and high fat. Some of them are just high fat, low protein. But all of them basically are trying to play off this fasting mimicking effect, which is when you don't have carbohydrates being burned, you have a hunger blunting effect that happens in the brain. So it makes it possible for people to eat less of the highly processed crap that's making them fat and sick. I don't think it's a sustainable long-term approach. In other words, it's not something you want to do over the long run. And it's completely unnecessary. If people are on a whole plant food SOS-free diets, they lose weight. Women lose about two pounds a week and men lose about three pounds a week on average. And so, you know, you can slowly but steadily lose weight eating a whole plant food SOS-free diet so that we don't need to put our, you know, basically make ourselves sick in order to facilitate weight loss. Yeah. And I just want to take a second to plug Chef AJ's cookbook. She has two of them out, um, unprocessed. And then there's a new one about weight loss. I can't remember the exact title, but she has some really great recipes in there. And for everyone listening, I highly recommend picking up those books because you would think, oh, like if there's no oil, no salt, no sugar, like the food's not going to taste good, but her recipes are awesome. Yeah. And the food tastes better and better the longer you eat this way because you overcome your addiction to the dietary pleasure trap and your palate opens up. So you actually get more pleasure, not less pleasure as time goes on. And you mentioned that addiction is biological, but is the palate also psychological? I think it's largely biological because the taste actually changes. We don't change a person's psychology typically in a short period of time with fasting, but we do change their biology. 
And they will go from not being able to you know, eat the food in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, and I'm also thinking, so my sister-in-law might be coming to see you guys, actually. And I'm thinking about like their eating habits at home and how do you support people once they get home to not go back to their old habits? I joke amongst a lot of my male patients is that, you know, whether they want to come in or not, the most important thing is sending their wife. <laughs> because, you know, we know who does most of the work in most of the houses. So, you know, trying to create a supportive environment at home is going to be critical. And so that's why we like to work with husband and wives as teams. And I hope that there's not too many teenagers in the house disrupting things, you know. So it's very difficult. People are, live in a world designed to make them fat, sick, and miserable in their addicts. And so failure rate would be expected to be exceptionally high because it's, it's an inordinately difficult thing. I find if people are appropriately motiva motivated, it helps. And the best motivation turns out to be pain, debility, and fear of death. So people that are, have a lot of pain and debility and fear of dying usually are a little bit more motivated and willing to do dangerous and radical things like eat well or exercise, or <laughs> maybe even undergo fasting. So we focus on those patients just because they're so amenable. The other people that are good to work with are healthy people that are doing it as health promotion and health prevention. I think those people actually get some of the best results from fasting and dietary change. Unfortunately, many of the vegans and vegetarians I see are motivated by moral, ethical, and spiritual reasons. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being motivated by moral, ethical, and spiritual reasons, but it doesn't do much for health. So if you're, you're trying to save the whales and save the animals and save the planet, I understand that. I appreciate that. I even admire that. But that's not going to, uh, you know, they say it might help you get into heaven from being a better person, but it won't delay how quickly you go to heaven unless you also adopt an SOS-free diet. A lot of this highly processed vegan crap that's being sold to people is probably just as bad for them as eating meat, for God's sake. So what we want to do is not just adopt a vegan diet, that is a diet without meat, fish, fowl, eggs, and dairy products. We also want to adopt a whole plant food diet that's free of added salt, oil, and sugar. Get the chemicals out of your food, eat whole foods, and as a consequence, not only will you benefit the planet and the animals, but you'll also make sure that you're healthy enough to be able to hang around and hopefully do your good work for the rest of what hopefully will be a long life. Do you think that some of these vegan processed foods are a good stepping stone for people to get them away from meat and dairy and realize like that they actually don't need that? Do you think beer and wine is a good thing to stepping stone people away from being an alcoholic? Yeah, no. <laughs> well, you know, it doesn't work. I mean, you know, maybe in theory it's a good thing. I think it's all nonsense. The best way to uh, get away from highly processed foods is to stop eating highly processed foods. The best way to get away from the consequence of eating animal products is to adopt a vegan diet. And so, you know, it's like arguing with somebody over, do you want to take the bandage off slowly or just rip it off? I mean, you know, maybe there's personal preference. If it's helping you be successful by stair-stepping it down, then stair-step it down. But if you're stair-stepping it down and you're still on the stairs, you haven't won yet. Get off the stairs. Do you think that there is ever going to be a time when the FDA is going to say, okay, like these chemicals are, are really bad and all these processed foods? Because I, I remember... I don't remember exactly how many years ago, but they're talking about trans fat and, oh, we can't have trans fat in foods now. And, oh, we need to reduce high fructose corn syrup. Like, do you think that we're going to move in a direction that is going to make some of these foods illegal or illegal to make? I think we'll move in whatever direction the highly processed food manufacturers decide to move in because they and the pharmaceutical companies have tremendous economic clout. And I think they're basically directing the boat when it comes to which things we're going to focus on or attack or not attack. And if you're waiting for the government to solve your problems, I think you're going to be, you know, don't hold your breath because you'll turn blue eventually. Yeah. yeah the problems get solved from a grassroots level up and people speak with their dollars. Who's the largest supplier of organic produce in the country right now? Whole Foods? Costco. Oh, yeah. Co yeah, Costco is a lot of organic stuff. Adventure to save the planet or save the animals. They're doing it because people said they're willing to pay a premium to get high-quality organic produce, and so they're making it available. The next biggest supplier, I believe, is Walmart. Oh, wow. Okay, so let's be clear. You want things <laughs> to change? Don't necessarily hold your breath waiting for some government official in Washington to make the changes. You make the changes by changing your behaviors and how you spend your money. Let people know what you want by how you spend your money. That's like the end. A capitalistic society have very powerful, we have tremendous control. You know, that's one of the strengths 
of a democratic capitalist society. You have the option to speak with your dollars. So buy organic produce, eat organic produce. If people stop eating meat, believe me, they'll stop producing as much meat. You want to save the planet, you want to save the animals, you know, make sure your behavior is consistent with what your belief systems are. I love it. So I want to ask you about caffeine because you were talking about that a little bit earlier. And it's not sugar, oil, or salt. So It's a highly addictive nervous system stimulant that has a 17-hour half-life, screws up your digestive system, has all kinds of problems from increased endogenous production of cholesterol and down nasty stuff. Now, it's true that it does come from a plant, which means there's still some uh, antioxidants and other things that, are, that may have some benefit in it. But, you know... Something being less bad doesn't make it good. Coffee's not good. It's not something that should be used for people. It's not a health-promoting habit. The fact that there are some attributes of it that may be perceived as you know, positive in a drug-like effect, whatever, that's fine. It has nothing to do with health living as far as I'm concerned. Look, at you've got the same thing being said about red wine. Oh, there's Risterol in it. Well, sure, there's a little Risterol left from the skin of grapes that the thing was made from. They haven't completely destroyed everything. Eat grapes if you want to get restorable, that's fine. You don't need to take a highly processed product that has an agent that damages liver and kidney and brain function because you like the way that it makes you feel. I wouldn't recommend alcohol. I would recommend caffeine or, or cigarettes. I imagine there's probably some benefit to something that's found in cigarette smoke, too. That's not going to make it health-promoting. Yeah, and what about caffeine and tea, like a green tea or a black tea? Great. There's a little bit less of this highly noxious substance in the tea than there is the coffee. Again, because there's less of it doesn't make it good. A poison's a poison. A small amount of poison is just a mild poison. So yeah, there's some antioxidant in green tea. So we're going to pretend that that's going to make it healthy, just like we're going to pretend that you know the blood thinning effect of alcohol is healthy. Is it true that the blood that alcohol thins the blood? Sure. And if you're on a greasy, fatty, dead, decaying flesh, animal-based diet and at risk for a clotting stroke and you drink alcohol, you have a slightly lower risk of a clotting stroke. You don't have a lower risk of dying because you have an increased risk of a hemorrhagic stroke or a bleeding stroke. But, you know, so the idea is if you're, it's important to you that you die from a bleeding stroke rather than a clotting stroke, then maybe alcohol has some kind of role in your diet. I wouldn't recommend it for anybody personally. Yeah, and I think when you're trying to make these changes, it's really important to surround yourself with people who want to eat and drink a similar way to you. Because if you're around people and you don't want to drink and they're all drinking, it's a lot harder to not drink. Well, sure. If you can be around people that also value health and happiness, then that's probably a good thing. On the other hand, though, I don't think you need all of your friends to eat like you. You just need friends that respect you enough that they're willing to tolerate you doing it. So we don't need them to do it. We just need them to stay out of your face because you choose to do it. And the problem is, though, a lot of times you create cognitive dissonance in your friends. If you're a little thinner than they are, a little more energetic, they're not going to like it. It makes them uncomfortable. You and your thin body and perky smile are going to make them sick. And so they'll try to undermine your success with cognitive dissonance. And it's a problem. You know, and it's particularly, I think, a problem even maybe more so for women than men even. You know, women lose weight and their friend, their colleagues at work aren't all supportive and helpful. You know, they, they're not happy at all. And so as a consequence, they'll undermine your success and bring you cupcakes and ask you why you have to be such a fanatic, tell you you're not fun anymore and be concerned that you're not going to get enough protein. You know, when you were eating Twinkies and processed foods and getting fatter and fatter by the day, nobody said a thing. But now that you're thinner than they are, you know, you're not going to be greeted with all happiness and cheer. So true. So sad. So is there anything else that you want to add about that? Yeah, health results from healthful living. You want to be healthy, you have to be prepared to pay the price. Adopt a whole plant food diet that's free of salt, oil, and sugar. Get plenty of sleep and adopt a moderate activity program so you're doing your walking, hiking, biking, and swimming. And don't take crap from people. They say stress is like Christmas. It's better to give than receive. So I say be generous. <laughs> And what is the uh, success rate of people, like how many people come into True North every year and what is the success rate going out? Well, I think it depends on how you define success. You know, we see some very, very seriously ill patients. Not everybody's going to completely recover all of their issues. But for example, if you look at a condition like high blood pressure, we published a study, 174 patients, 174 people who were able to lower their pressure enough to eliminate medications. We have the largest effect size ever shown in treating high blood pressure in humans with an average effect size of 60 points. 
in stage three hypertension. So some conditions response is very good. Then you have to ask, okay, what about now when the people go home? Well, when the people adopt a health-promoting diet and sustain it, they have sustained results. And if people go back to greasy, fatty, processed, slimy, dead, decaying flesh, eventually they're going to get their problems back. And so sometimes it's an ongoing battle where people will do well for three months or six months or a year, and we have to lock them back up and kick them in the butt in order to get them back on track, and that's okay. Because they're living in a world that's designed to make them fat, sick, and miserable and give them what they want, not what they need. What people want is a way to stay in the pleasure trap and not pay the price. And what they need is a way to escape the pleasure trap so they can actually get healthier. I love it. That's a good place to end it, I think. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And I really appreciate your honesty and just like you're, you're really fun to talk to. <laughs> it, was, it was my pleasure. Cool. Thank you. Very good. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Dr. Goldhammer and learned a lot of things. Something I want to spend more time looking into is the intermittent fasting. Personally, that's something that hasn't resonated with me, but after hearing him and his opinion, which I respect, I'm going to look more into that. So maybe I'll try intermittent fasting for like 10 or 12 hours. But if you think about it, if you're eating dinner at like six and then you wake up at six or seven the next day, you're already kind of fasting for a 12 hour period. So maybe most of us are already doing it. If someone in your family is having a health issue or one of your friends, definitely have them check out the True North Health Center because what if their life could change? What if they could get off pills? What if they didn't have to live like that anymore? It's really amazing. And even if you're skeptical about it, like Dr. Goldhammer said, the results show. So it's worth a try. Thanks to everyone rocking the Moxie and Grit socks. It's been so fun to get tagged and see all of you in your adventures wearing the unicorn socks, wearing the do epic shit socks. There's a Moxie and Grit socks, and there's another design that's in the works. So thank you so much for supporting me there. And I want to thank our podcast sponsor, Four Sigmatic. Go to foursigmatic.com slash Sonia Looney, or just enter my name, Sonia Looney, at checkout to receive 15% off your next order. The next thing that I'm going to be trying from these guys is the cordyceps mushroom elixir because there is some information how cordyceps are great at helping us perform athletically and also has strong antioxidant properties. And also I had a, a doctor appointment with my naturopath the other day because I just am always talking about how to optimize in my life. And he recommended adaptogens and specifically cordyceps. So I'm excited to give this a try and I'm going to be using the cordyceps mushroom elixir. So if you guys are using any of these products, let me know how it's working for you. That's it for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate that you're here and wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week.